Let's pray again. Father, we thank you so much that you are who you say you are in your word, Lord. God, I thank you, God, that you have brought us here today not to be entertained, not just to hear a nice message, not to have a devotion, but to have our lives changed, Father God. Lord, I just pray, God, as we go into your word this morning and we take hold of what you've given us to receive today, Father God, that you would do a mighty work in us and through us, God, that this wouldn't be another sermon, God, but it would be life-changing, Lord. I pray, God, that you would do a mighty work, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to comprehend what you have for us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, while I was praying this last year about what kind of focus and things that God wanted for this next year, I was literally driving down the road to Oconomowoc and praying and listening to some worship music, and this phrase struck me from the Holy Spirit, and it was, love more. And then in 2015, God wants us as a church to love more. And I was like, okay, God, what does that mean to love more? Like some warm feeling, like, I love you. I love you, Erica. I love you, Sherry. No, not like that. (laughs) God wants us to love more. And in the scriptures, it tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. This idea that through God's love overflowing through us, we can accomplish what God has given us to do as believers. The defining difference between our faith and all others is the love of God. And that God calls us and commands us to love. It's not something that we can just work up. It's not something that can happen, but that God literally, he loved us, he gives us his love, and he says, now love one another. And only through God's love, working and moving and filling and overflowing out of us, can we accomplish anything that this book says that we are to accomplish as believers. It's only through God's love. We can't make it happen. We can't force it to happen. Over the years, the church has tried, and it's been a hot mess. And I love that the word love in this passage is the word agape in the Greek. That's that unconditional benevolent, compassionate love. And one of the ways that it was, it was used and meant in this passage was literally to be a feast of love. A feast of love. That your, your feast of love may overflow. Your feast of love. And like a feast, it comes in courses, doesn't it? Can't take it in all at once. There'll be multiple platters and things. And so we're going to go through a series this year, and I'm going to give you a course at a time. And the first course is going to be about loving God more. Because if we don't get this, if we don't understand what it means to love God and to truly embrace who God is and what God has for us in our lives, we miss out entirely. And I was, I'm going to skip right to point number two. which is that in order for us to love God more, we have to take the scales off our eyes. Because we can talk all day about how we love God. Jesus saved me and I love God and God is kind of so awesome. But we say we love God like we love cheeseburgers and we love bacon and we love Taylor Swift. Okay, like, (laughs) I want you just to shake that off right now. Just kidding, okay. Um, That was for you, Kevin. Um, (laughs) 
And understand that when we talk about loving God, it's not that same flippant pat you on the back love. It's an all-consuming, passionate, life-driven. The scripture says that our love for God should make everything else in our lives seem like hate. If you love your father, your mother, your husband, your wife, kids more than me, the Bible says, then you don't love me. That's Jesus who said that. Everything else in our life should seem like hate compared to our love for God. I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. And for many of us, we struggle, our struggle to love God lies in our perception of who God is. The very idea of who God is is marred by our experiences. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Let's take a look at that. I tell you, I so miss the sound of pages turning. I love that you guys all have your phones and your tablets, but I wish that they would make an app for them so you could still hear the rustle. <laughs> As you search, it rustles because I love the rustling of Bible pages. Yes, my age is showing here. Okay, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. It's a familiar story for a lot of us. Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul... And if you don't know who Saul was, Saul was a zealous religious leader. He was committed to Judaism and to the teachings of the temple. So much so that when the church was born, he literally was hunting and tracking down groups of believers and having them arrested. When Stephen was stoned, if you know the story of Stephen, Paul was standing right there. He was killing Christians. It'd be like a leader of ISIS coming to your house. Basically saying, repent or you're going to jail and you're going to be killed for this. That's, that's, that's essentially who Paul was. And it says here, <clears throat> meanwhile, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for a letter to the synagogue in Damascus so that he may, so he found, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was asking for permission to go hunt more Christians. He was zealous in his desire to eliminate the message of the gospel in the church. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, and God gives him a vision, and needless to say, Paul ends up at his house, and God delivers him, and the scales fall off his eyes. Now, there's two things you need to know about Paul. One, yes, he was psychotically, murderously pursuing the church, but two, he actually wanted to know God. Paul did it because he believed that's what loving God was about, was about keeping the law, about the, the way things had been done. And this new teaching was contrary to what he'd been told and what had happened. And he, through his love for God, was pursuing this. And like many of us, like Paul, many of us, our idea of loving God has been marred by scales on our eyes. 
And while we may not be pursuing and desiring to murder other groups for not believing what we believe, what happens in our lives often dictates how we perceive God. Just as Paul was raised from a young boy to believe certain things, and that was what defined what it meant to love God. For many of us, we've gone through situations that have defined how we are able to love God. Many people hear about God as a loving father, and they cringe inwardly. And I can tell you this from personal experience, that I grew up in the church not understanding what that meant. My dad left when I was five. I had a wonderful stepfather, but I had no idea how to compute what it meant to have a father. And so when I hear that God loves me, and about, like, Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 for 11 talks about God giving good gifts and all these things, and I'd hear how God is our Father, and God is a Father to the fatherless. There was such a hurt and such a confusion that I could not relate to God in this way. But God says what? That we are adopted through Christ. We are adopted, and we become his sons and daughters, and he is our Father. And if we're to love God, we have to understand what that means. And for many of us, we struggle with these things. And others of us struggle because we grew up in churches where there was so much control and so much spiritual abuse that took place. Or we made decisions and things happened to us as we got older and we were so rejected by the church that was supposed to be the loving representation of God on earth that we don't even know how to compute that. And we're hurt and we're broken and we're scarred because God's people were to love us and instead they rejected us because we didn't fit in their box. And we get scales on our eyes because we don't know how to relate. <laughs> we don't know what it means to come when God says, Come love me and let my people show you. Let me be your loving father. Let me be the one who will provide for you. You know, the Bible is clear. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie. We're often lied to by God's people. We've been lied to often by our earthly fathers. But God, he can't lie, the Bible tells us. <laughs> it's not in his nature to lie. And so the lies that we've been told, the rejection that we've experienced is not of God. A third group of us struggle because of the things that we've done. Group number one is things that has happened to us from our, our fathers. We can't relate to God because of father issues. Group number two is because of issues with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Group number three is because of what we've done. We're still so hung up on the sins of the past and the sins that we've committed that we can't understand how God could possibly love us. So we come in, but we feel like an outcast. We feel like we're on the sidelines. We feel like we're not good enough. And we may raise our hands and say, praise God. And we may go to Bible study and do all these things. But inside, we feel alone and broken and rejected. Now, those of you that know me know I love science fiction and fantasy and particularly Doctor Who. <laughs> and this last December, I was blown away watching an episode of Doctor Who, and I wanted to bring the clip, but thanks to copyright laws, I couldn't do it. Um, where the doctor's companion had done something horrible and betrayed him in such a profound way. And immediately after the betrayal had happened, he immediately started to help her with her situation. And she couldn't believe it. And she's like, I don't deserve this. And the quote he said to, to, to her 
was so close to me to how God sees us. He says, do you think I care so little that betraying me would make a difference? Do you think I care so little that betraying me would make a difference? And I was like, if that's not like something right out of the Bible, I don't know what is. If that's not a picture of how God sees us at our worst when we, when we sin and we betray God. Because every sin we commit, yes, it affects us and others, but it's a betrayal of God. David said, against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight. And that's what we miss is that when we confess our sins, and John, 1 John 1 side, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Corinthians talks that in Christ we are a new creation. The old has gone away. Psalm 103, 12 says, he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. But some of us are so burdened down by the guilt and the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, and regret because we've allowed the enemy to weave lies into our minds that we can't fully allow God to love us so we can't love God. And God's saying today, it's, he wants us to love him more. So understand, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The scales have to come off. The scales have to come off. I love Isaiah 61. Because it speaks so clearly of who Christ came to be and then the anointing that God gave us for us to be. As believers, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort those who mourn, to bestow them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Some of us have been so bound up and blinded by these situations that have happened in our life that we can't fully let God be God in our lives. And we wonder why we struggle when we deal with difficult situations and we're like, we know we're supposed to pray, but we feel like we can't even come before God because we can't relate to him, because we feel so condemned and so judged. And it's like, okay, God, so I committed this sin yesterday. Are you actually going to answer my prayer today? And I'm telling you that the Bible says he forgives our sins, that we don't need to beat ourselves up over it. Or should we keep sinning? No, the Bible says not to do that. <laughs> but God today is saying, don't let your past dictate your relationship with me today. Don't let your current circumstances dictate your relationship with me. Don't let those who hurt you keep you from me. They stole part of your life. Don't let them steal your relationship with me. Don't let your father, your mother, your sister, your aunt, your second cousin twice removed, that church that you were in, steal your relationship with me. Another obstacle to loving God more is that for many people today, we have made God into an image that suits us. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, warned us of this. It said, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desire and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. We live in an age where you can find a supposed teacher and wannabe theologian to tell you whatever you want. Don't believe me? Go on the internet. It's full of all sorts of exciting and interesting ideas. And many of us, because what's in this book 
doesn't fit into the life we want, we create God in our image. We want to go along with whatever the latest trend is, whatever the latest whim is, and I'm telling you today that that's not the life that God's called us to live. And for others of us, we have a very specific religious picture of who Jesus and God are supposed to be. It was things that we were told or things that we've thought or things that we've come up with. And when God goes outside that box, we don't know how to handle it. So we keep Jesus in this nice, pretty porcelain statue in a glass case in our mind. Because if he moves outside of what's familiar, of what, how we were raised or how things were for us or, or our favorite preacher says... We don't know how to deal with it. And I'm telling you, as soon as we think we've got God figured out, we've picked up a chisel and started making him in our own image. And it's idolatry. When we create this God only moves in, if we do it this way mindset, we've missed out. We've missed out on what God wants for us. And the Bible is clear that God sets the standard. He is the creator. We are the created. James chapter 1. Starting with verses 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into his perfect law gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. You know, I've known so many believers that can quote scripture, but their lives are so bound up with religiousness and their idea of who God is that they are worthless to the kingdom of God. And it grieves me that we can fill ourselves with knowledge and do nothing about it. And the reason that happens is because we don't love God. We don't love God. Because part of doing the word is understanding that loving God and having God be first in our lives is more important than everything else. You'll hear Pastor Jared say all the time, what sums up? Love God, love others. That's what Jesus said. That's, that's the perfection of the law. <laughs> Put God first. Love God more than everything else. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's what God's called us to do as believers. And everything should be an outflowing of those things. But we miss it. We miss it time and time again. And it's important for us to intentionally study this book, to embrace what God has given us of his word. Because, you know, we talk about knowing and loving God. We know and love God through his word and through prayer and through his people. Those are the three ways we know and love God. We can look at the word, and the, the scripture says that this word is God breathed. God breathed. I love that. Isn't that exciting? God breathed. The God went, and there it was. Not exactly, but that's awesome. <laughs> okay? Just as God breathed life, that, that, that Zoe in the beginning when he breathed life into Adam, that idea of that this is life-giving. 
and it reveals God and who he is and what he's done and what he will do in your life and through you and what it may happen in the future. And if you want to know and love God, know his word. That's why I love these books, because you can hug them. You can't hug your phone. It's not the same. I'm sorry. Okay? <laughs> and through prayer and spending time with him. And you know, from the time, if those of you who grew up in church, you've heard these, these ideas beat in from day one. You can see the, read your Bible and pray every day, and we'll grow, grow, grow. But we say that because it works and it matters. <laughs> Because spending time with God, coming before him and asking God to speak to you and speaking to God and communing and building that relationship with him, if you don't spend time with someone, you don't get to know them. How can you love someone you don't know? And then with God's people, we are a hot mess most days. The church is not perfect. You know, the Bible says to present her blameless and perfect. Only Jesus can do that because we don't do that well at all. (laughs) On any given Sunday, you can come here, and I guarantee someone here is not perfect. And it's usually me, okay? (laughs) All right? Usually five minutes before I've gotten out of the car, there's been a lecture going on or walking out the door screaming at my kids because they're playing in the snow instead of getting in the van. You know, the... The idea that we're perfect, but we're not, but that God wants us to know him. And one of the ways he reveals himself is through his church, through his people. That as we love and encourage one another, as we pray for one another, as we build up one another. This week, Barb was sick. And I texted a whole bunch of you. We posted on Facebook. And the love that poured in and prayer for her and her family. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about reaching out. And knowing God's love through his people. But when we step outside of that and we make God in our image, we step into idolatry, and God wants us to repent of that. And if you're not sure if you're doing that, get into the word of God. If you're... The scripture says, How can a young man cleanse his ways by delighting in the law of the Lord? Psalm 119 speaks of that. And renew our minds through God's words. Renew our perspective through God's words. Renew our vision for who God is through God's word. Through pursuing it, ladies, coming to that breaking free is going to change your life because we're going to get into God's word. (laughs) This word has power. And today God wants to set us free. He wants to free us from the scales. He wants to free us from idolatry. And he wants us to let go and really pursue what it means to love him more. so that we may know him and have that relationship, but so that through him working in us, we can reach a world that is desperate and dying and lost without him. How can we love our neighbor as ourself if we don't have the love of God in us? How can we do anything that God has asked us to do? Like I shared at the beginning in Philippians, where he says to have more knowledge and full insight to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God, a harvest of righteousness that comes through knowing and loving and serving God. That's what God's asking us this year, that we would love him more. And that's my challenge for you today. 
to let God begin to do a healing work in you. If you have scales that need to come off, let God begin that work. If you have things that you need to repent of, ideas and images of God that you've created that are outside of who God wants you to believe, let God begin to tear down those idols. I love the stories in the Old Testament where you get the righteous kings, and the first thing they do is they tear down those idols. And some of us, we need to do that. We need to tear down those ideas in our mind of who God is that are contrary to who God really is because he will blow you away in who he is, that he is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, <laughs> that his kindness is what leads us to repentance, not his judgment. I love that verse. His kindness leads us to repentance and that he gives us beauty for ashes. Amen.